Chapter 7 of Sephloia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Neela, Iowa City, Iowa. Sephloia by Charlotte Dacre. Chapter 7. It would be endless to dwell on the varied and unworthy artifices which the pious Signora di Medina had recourse to for the torment and annoyance of her unhappy charge. Suffice it to say that in time their effect became blunted and despised, and the whole thoughts of Victoria turned to the possibility of escaping from such vulgar tyranny. For long she revolved in her mind even the remotest probability, but in vain. She could never penetrate farther than the allotted garden, and knew not even the precise path or door that might lead beyond it. Even were that difficulty obviated, she was ignorant of the means of getting to Venice. Whither, could she but once escape, she was determined to hasten. Under these circumstances, the image of Catal presented itself to her mind. Confined as she was almost wholly to the society of this untaught girl, she had leisure to remark in her certain traits of docility and good nature. Ill-concealed beneath the sullen sternness, she had evidently been commanded to assume. Catau was a peasant of Switzerland, short and thick in her person, hard-favored, of rude and vacant features, ignorant and inured to labor. She had been selected by the Signora to attend and watch Victoria, first to mortify her by the careless clumsiness of her manner and the inferiority of her station, and secondly, from an idea that Victoria would despise her too much to endeavor to corrupt or make a friend of her. Should she even make the attempt, the Signora presumed the extreme stupidity of Catau would render it abortive. But here, for once, the infallible Signora, as she believed herself, was mistaken in her fancied penetration. Catau was not only not so stupid as she was supposed, but was possessed of a certain shrewdness and power of combining ideas, which, hid beneath an habitual silence and placidity of disposition, had drawn upon her the mistaken imputation of heaviness and insensibility. Catau could think, and, what was more, she could feel. Yes, infinitely beyond those who so proudly sat in judgment upon her character. To return, however, to Victoria, no sooner had the remotest glimmerings of a possible attempt beamed upon her mind than instantly she determined by every means in her power to attach Catau to her interests. Time and experience had already made her so far acquainted with the malevolent and tormenting spirit of the Signora di Medina that she well knew one great step towards the scheme in embryo was not by any means to appear reconciled to the society of Catau, but on the contrary, to seem to shun and despise her. For it was sufficient for this worthy Catholic to be aware of the particular circumstance that could yield a moment's satisfaction to anyone, instantly to reverse it, and continued with unwearied perseverance in that line of conduct which appeared to give most pain and uneasiness. Therefore, 
when she seemed to dislike being accompanied by Katow in the garden, which she often did purposely, the Signora, with a distorted smile of fancy triumph, would tell Katow to take her arm and lead her thither, thinking by that to inflict on the proud heart of her charge the deepest mortification. But here again the Signora was fallible, for no sooner was Victoria out of her sight than she smiled on Katow with an air that said, There is no other way of preserving your attendance. This smile would penetrate the heart of her humble companion, and she would feel so gratified and affected that, perhaps, at those moments, Victoria might have made an attempt not destitute of success. Such, however, was not her plan. She had not yet sufficiently arranged it, and she resolved to do nothing from crude, undigested ideas. She was but now in the infancy of her attempt, sounding the disposition of Catal, and her mailed heart was not to be thrown off its guard by any effusions of softness or feeling attributable to the effect of the moment alone. It so happened that one evening they perambulated to a part of the garden which was yet unknown to Victoria. It was a beautiful close avenue, the sides and roof of which were interwoven branches of vine and honeysuckle. The entrance was almost concealed by a thick shrubbery, which it required no slight ingenuity to penetrate, and, from the serpentine direction of the path, it appeared wholly impossible to ascertain its extent. Still, having made their way through, they proceeded. Victoria, with a vague and indefinable feeling of hope and fear, and Catel merely with that vacant curiosity incident to vulgar minds. At length, after walking for near half an hour, they only reached the extent of the garden, bounded by the high circular wall, which had so often, since the comparative liberty she had enjoyed, filled the mind of Victoria, in contemplating it with a despondency almost hopeless. The winding path they had traversed had alone deceived her as to the imagined distance, and as she gloomily surveyed the strong and lofty enclosure, she almost doubted if any outlet whatever existed. Surely, thought she, there is only an entrance to the garden from the house, and no outlet from the garden itself. While thus she ruminated, Walking slowly along by the side of the wall, she became convinced, as she proceeded, that the precise part of the garden in which she now found herself, she had never seen before. At length, a small wooden door, formed in the wall and secured by two rusty bolts and a heavy iron lock, presented itself to her eager view. She instantly called to Katow to approach, and pointing to the door, inquired of her if she knew whither it led. Catal readily applied an eye to the keyhole. It leads into the wood, Signora, which surrounds this house. But unless we were outside, it cannot tell the exact spot. The first part of her reply fixed the breathless attention of Victoria. Into the wood, repeated she mentally, and applied her eye likewise to the keyhole. And is there no way, Catal? said she of opening this door? None that I know of, Signora, replied Catau. And even if there was, you know, Signora, she added in a hesitating voice, 
you know that. I understand you, Katow, answered Victoria. But you know there could be nothing wrong in rambling now and then about the wood. And supposing the Signora has forbid it, how could it ever come known? Why, that is true, replied Katow thoughtfully. I must own, it is a hard thing to be so confined. Holy Jesu, Signora, we could never open this door. Oh, Katow, said Victoria in a gentle voice. Nothing is impossible to those who are willing. You could easily procure the key under some pretense or another, and think then how delightful it would be for us to be quite out of reach of the horrible Signora. Ho, ho, cried Katow with quickness, as if suddenly awaking from a reverie. I have a thought. To make any inquiries about the key belonging to the store, Signora, would only make us suspected. I now remember that when before you came, the Signora used to send me to Ambrosio, the gardener, that I have seen hanging up under the little shed where he keeps his tools, a large bunch of rusty keys. I think, Signora, I could lay my hand blindfold upon the very spot where they hang. Well, cried Victoria, her natural impatience breaking forth through her assumed gentleness and forbearance. Well, hasten then, fetch them, and let us try them all immediately. No, Signora, answered Catal with genuine mildness. That will not do. The evening is drawing in. The Signora has already begun to miss us. By this hour, Ambrosio, too, has most likely returned home, and may be in the very place I speak of. Tomorrow, when he shall be in a distant part of the garden, I will watch the moment when no one is near, and slip through his little cottage to the spot. For I must pass through Ambrosio's residence, Signora, to get at it, shall then whip down the keys as quick as lightning. And if you will promise, Signora, if you will promise not to betray me, nor to stay out too long, I would do all I can to oblige you. I do not think, she continued, this door has been opened for a long time. Perhaps the very key that belongs to it may be in this bunch. Victoria was fearful to appear too eager, and ardently as she longed to penetrate beyond the unvaried precincts prescribed by the Signora, she acquiesced with apparent readiness to the arrangements of Catau, and reluctantly agreed to bend her steps homeward. The whole of the night was passed in giving way alternately to trembling hope and the deepest despair. The perpetual ferment of her brain, and above all, the violent restraint she imposed upon her feelings and natural disposition, scarcely ever suffering herself to be provoked for an instant from the cool and systematic conduct she prescribed herself, had begun long since to have a visible effect upon her personal appearance. She had become thin and pallid, but still her eyes burnt with an ardent though melancholy flame that bespoke the trammeled, unsubdued ferocity of her soul. About noon the following day, Katow, who had been absent since she had risen, for she occupied the same apartment as Victoria, rushed suddenly into the room and first carefully securing the door drew from her pocket a huge bunch of rusty keys 
At this sight, Victoria's eyes sparkled, and the orient tint revisited momentarily her pallid cheek. She devoured them with eager look, and in fancy applied them in turn to the lock of the door. It was, however, as yet, too early to venture forth, for they might be tempted to remain longer absent than would be prudent, and suspicion might be excited. They therefore agreed to defer till evening their destined trial. Now, in all this active conduct of the simple Katao, there was absolutely not the smallest intention of aiding or abetting Victoria to escape. She would, on the contrary, have shuddered at the idea. But though, in obedience to the orders of the Signora, she had, in the commencement, treated her with sullen coldness, yet in a little time, as is natural for a young, uncorrupted mind, she had become weary of this assumed character, and returned to the kind, gentle, and respectful conduct more consonant to her feelings. Besides which, the involuntary awe with which superior rank inspired her was not to be done away, for superior rank, if accompanied with any dignity, makes resistless impression on the vulgar mind. Victoria, who beheld with pleasure this gradual change of conduct, divested herself as much as possible of her natural hauteur, and, having a point to carry, she behaved towards Katal with the utmost condescension, now and then bestowing on her such trifles as were still within her power, for of the greatest part of her little possessions, clothes, and etc., the signora had deprived her, under the pretense of curing her of a sinful vanity detrimental to the good of her soul. Under the pretense of curing her of a sinful vanity detrimental to the good of her soul. But what Victoria could, she did, and the trifles which, with grace, she pressed upon Catau, were acceptable and had their desired effect, for vulgar minds are almost always mercenary. Therefore, as far as she could, in return, she enlarged the slender sphere of Victoria's comforts and her solitary, unvaried amusements. Thus, in procuring for her the keys, she had it merely in contemplation to obtain for her, if possible, a few moments of satisfaction. Early in the evening, they descended to the garden and hastened to the avenue already described. Strong anxiety winged the feet of Victoria, and soon she reached the door which had already excited in her mind ideas so various and confused. Snatching the keys from Katao, who had toiled after her, she applied them in turn, with trembling impatience, to the lock. One at length appeared to suit the best. She essayed to turn it, but in vain. It was reserved for the sinewy hand of Katao to triumph over the united strength of rust and iron. She wrenched the key with violence. It turned in the lock. She applied her force to the bolts alternately with her hand and a stone which she had picked up. The door at length yielded to her perseverance and flew open. Happy and joyous sight for the imprisoned Victoria! She darted like a wild bird, newly escaped from its wiry tenement, into the beautiful and romantic wood that presented itself to her ravished view. The cautious and less ardent Katao closed the door after them and followed. 
Victoria looked wistfully around. She beheld no boundaries, nothing to retard her should she effect her escape. For a moment she ruminated, then calling Katow towards her, she said in a careless tone, Katow, canst thou tell now in which direction lies the city of Venice? Venice, signora, answered Katow, pausing and gazing around. Venice lies there, pointing with her finger. Then, said Victoria, clapping her hands while her cheeks crimsoned with rage, Montebello, pointing contemptuously toward the left, must be on that side. Reflections too bitter and too strong to be endured rushed through her mind. She turned abruptly away and with a look that seemed to say, Accursed be the quarter where I was deceived and duped, and accursed every breeze that is wafted thence. But far, far different sensations actuated her when she cast her eyes forwards. There, thought she, is Venice itself, and there dwells Berenza. Distance, like death, always magnifies to the imagination the charms of those who were beloved, together with the deception that had been used to separate her from him, induced her to think of him with a tenderness that, but for those circumstances, perhaps she had never felt in so powerful a degree. Ah, dear Berenza, she mentally continued, might I but hope to see thee once more. She turned towards Katow, anxious to rally her thoughts, and taking her arm, she walked on with her in silence. A thousand unconnected ideas still floated in her mind. Time passed unheeded, till Katow, respectfully reminding her that it would be expedient to return, roused her from her visions of the future, and she readily acquiesced in the propriety of the movement. End of chapter 7